As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am your host, Brett Taylor, joined by my sidekicks, Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. I wanted to see how that would play <laughs> if, I, if I kicked it off that way. I like it. I think that's what I'm going I'm to do. Who's going to stop me? I'm the, one who gets, I'm the one who intros the show, so like I can say whatever I want. And uh, I mean, unless Michael, our producer, edits that out, which he won't. He likes me. He likes me better than you guys. He's told me. Uh, so we're just here to make you look good. Brett. Anyway, yeah, there you go. You guys are you guys are the beautiful wall decorations on the Brett Taylor podcast. Um, no, but I look. I, I wanted to introduce some levity here at the outset of of this podcast before we get into the serious stuff. I was I was reflecting on how. So obviously we we did a show earlier this week, uh, and we hadn't for a while before that because you know things hadn't happened. And I closed that episode with a plea, sort of half joking, half serious, you know, do something, you know, give us something to talk about, do something. And then as this week was playing out and we had the awful Jared Porter story and uh, the Cubs spending issues coming even, you know, percolating even more to light. All I could think in my head was not like this. I didn't, I didn't mean like this for something to talk about. So, but that's where we are. And I think there's, there's um, important things to discuss from this week, and that's why we wanted to get back on the horn with you folks. And um, so we'll start there. Um, let's let's deal with the uh, Jared Porter story first, uh, both because I think it's of significant importance for the sport, and there's obviously the connective tissue to the Cubs. Um, but then I think the conversation we'll have about free agency will be a little more wide ranging from there. So we can shift into that. Um, how to kick it off. I mean, obviously for those who don't know, the New York Mets hired Jared Porter earlier this offseason to be their new general manager under new ownership. Uh, Porter was coming over from the Arizona Diamondbacks where he was an assistant GM. Before that, he spent a year with the Cubs as their director of pro scouting. And before that, he was with the Red Sox, sort of from that Epstein-Hoyer uh, tree. And um, Jeff Passan and Mina Kimes, ESPN, 
uh, reported that when Porter was with the Cubs, uh, he was engaged in uh, pretty substantial harassment over text with a female reporter who was in this country from another. Um, and that, that harassment culminated in some explicit pictures, unwanted explicit pictures being sent. And so that was revealed. Porter was summarily dismissed by the Mets. And now there's an open question about, or at least for me, and, and I, I want to hear from you guys too on this because it's, here's how it hits me. It's okay. So this, this happened while he was with the Cubs. And while we don't expect employers to be like living within people's devices and knowing exactly what they're doing and all that, you know, I have a hard time reading the story and thinking there were never any signs whatsoever that there was a, a creep factor here. And I have a hard time believing that it was like a first time and only time for something like this. And most importantly, as it relates to this discussion, I have a hard time believing that there wasn't something culturally going on that would have perhaps emboldened someone to think, because this was a professional reporter that he was dealing with. There is a work-related component to this. It's not just like whatever in his personal life. Um, there was a dynamic at play that had to do with his job. And so I am troubled by that. I'm troubled thinking back to like the stories that were heard about the front office culture at that time. Um, that sometimes stories that were told with like a smile and then sort of an undercurrent though of like, hmm, what was going on? Was it a little, little too ornery there, you know? And so that's kind of where I land. It's five years ago. Um, but I think it's something that the Cubs have to talk about and deal with given that there's still substantial overlap in that front office today. Yeah, I, I I would say that I agree with that. The Cubs should look inward and figure out uh, what were they in any way subconsciously or not uh, allowing this to happen, uh, you know, taking a blind eye to it just by the way they act, right? Not saying, yeah, go ahead and do those things, but letting them happen because you were turning a blind eye or didn't notice them. I think it's a big issue for the industry in general. I, I think it opens some eyes for, I know I, it opens some eyes for me because I know Jared Porter and I've written good things about him. And why did I write those good things about him? Not because uh, of our relationship, previous relationship, but because I'd heard good things about it. That's what I've always told myself. I'm not going to write nice things about someone just because I've met them and they seem personable or whatever. Uh, I have to hear good things from other people. And that's what bothers me. Now, <laughs> now we're, uh, you talk to other women in the business and, and you may hear a different story. And I think that's, we all need to reassess how we get our information. Who are we talking to and, and how thorough are we being, right? Uh, uh, that's, that's something that pops into my mind. In general, I just I, I think baseball, maybe this is a maybe it's a bigger issue than baseball. Maybe it's in sports, but it is a it is a guys club, right? It, there's a, and there are some we've heard talk that we like are like, wow, that's kind of, you know, that's that's towing the line with the way you talk about things. How how difficult is that for women to hear? What is the line? When is it going from, you know, kind of uh, a, a dirty joke to really inappropriate workplace discussion? Uh, we have to be more aware of those things. And, and I think especially um, just in I mean, I, and it doesn't have to do with, oh, if there's a woman around, don't talk about this stuff. <laughs> like, right. It can't just be something like that, uh, that that's that's demeaning in its own way. 
it, it needs to it, these things are, are are bigger than just one incident and one man doing an absolutely disgusting thing and and i agree brett i don't know how many times he's done this there are other people but it's it's scary to think about how prevalent it may be this is one incident that's been that's been released right that that we know about uh how many other execs how many other people how many other members of the media it's a male dominated media it's a male dominated industry how often is this happening uh i don't know i i don't know the answer to that but when you read other women's columns after this it's clear that this isn't something like the fact that they all just are like yep yeah, this has happened to me, or something like this has happened to me, or this is what's happened to me, and you see stories written. Uh, it, it, I shouldn't. I'm not surprised because I've, I, I have friends who are in the, uh, uh, women friends who are in the industry, and and they, and they have shared their their stories. But then you just, it kind of, it's just a reminder, and uh, and and it's there's, I, I don't know if there's a bigger cultural issue with the Cubs specifically. Uh, but I do know there's a bigger issue in baseball that needs to be rectified. And I don't know. I, I'd like to be part of the solution. I think we all can be part of the solution. But it's bothersome to see it happen. It's bothersome to know that this is someone that, that you've been around uh, and is and can act completely differently than what you see. But I think that's just a, we've always known that, right? That these people are not exactly who they are sometimes when when we're talking to them about baseball or on the field or whatever it is so you have to be aware of that and it's also just an industry issue in the sense that we never saw like we we don't see these people interact with women much right that's another issue there's just not enough women in the industry so you don't not only are you not bouncing uh, thoughts off like hey what's this guy like to a lot of women very often but you also just don't see them around women and maybe that's part of the issue with the cubs right did Jed and Theo not see him around women enough? I don't know. I, I don't know if that's part of the issue there. I, I mean, it's definitely an issue as far as women working in baseball. We need more women in baseball. But just to to uh, to see the true character of someone, uh, you're not seeing them around a woman. That does, the, the fact that they may act differently around a woman than they do around a man should tell you a lot about that person. And, and we don't have those opportunities in this business because of other issues that just you know, continue to pervade the industry. Yeah, I would <clears throat> encourage everyone to read uh, Britt's column on The Athletic, uh, detailing her experiences uh, covering the Orioles several years ago and really articulating uh, what it's like to be uh, a woman in this business. Uh, you know, even when you're extremely talented and accomplished, uh, there's just a lot of garbage that... Uh, other people have to deal with that, you know, Sahada, Brett and I don't have to deal with and that it was uh, really <clears throat> eye-opening. Uh, I also thought, to Brett's point, uh, John Greenberg had a good column up about kind of it's time to retire the Cubs way. And, you know, I do think it's plausible that uh, this did not go up the chain. I think they should get the, you know, they're kind of innocent until proven guilty on this one, but that doesn't mean that they're totally absolved of blame or responsibility here. I think it's a really weird business where people are traveling all the time and they're working nights and weekends and 
Um, you know, anyone who's been to Wrigley Field knows the atmosphere uh, around the neighborhood. And, and I think over time, the Cubs have spent a lot of capital and kind of chipped away at uh, their credibility in this department and that trading for Aroldis Chapman got you the World Series, but it also left a lot of fans feeling extremely you know, angry and that bringing back Addison Russell after his domestic violence suspension, while I think Theo had a lot of good intentions and put a lot of thought behind that, that also really deeply disappointed, you know, a segment of the fan base as well. And certain members of Ricketts family by aligning themselves with Donald Trump has also spurred these really uneasy feelings uh, around the team. And so I think the question will be, you know, what did the Cubs know? When did they know it? And what do they do from here to really enact uh, substantial, meaningful changes in the way that they kind of handle these situations and how they develop, you know, air quotes culture, you know, that's kind of, uh, the ball is in their court now. Yeah. And let me wrap this, uh, with, I, I think you'll indulge me a little bit of soapboxing on this just because I think it's useful, um, that a, a lot of us in our, whether it's, this doesn't even have to be related to baseball or our jobs, but I think a lot of us men in our circles of male friendship may have opportunities to actually put in the work of of helping improve this sort of part of the dynamic between men and women because i think that there there might be opportunities where you will get exposed to just an inkling of like you know i kind of feel like maybe my buddy might be bugging this woman a bit um or, or you know whatever it might be just Maybe maybe this is an opportunity for you to rethink the way that you communicate with your male friends about the way they communicate with women. Uh, and I'm not I'm not saying go out there and then become you know a, a preacher within your group of friends, but like just pay attention. You know, really read these stories, read Brit's story, read the original report at ESPN, and think about the impact that behavior has had on these women, and think about how you know. All it was was some texts, right? All it was was just some texts. And it's like, no, it has really, really significant damaging impact on these women. And and perhaps if you can internalize that and think about that and hold that in your mind when you're having your relationships with your male friends and you're, you're talking, whether specifically about these issues or just talking about women in general, I think you can probably be uh, a, a part of positive change without really doing too much. Because I think sometimes we just stand too idly by and we think that, well, it's just that these are just things how they are. And it's like, no, we've been given an opportunity here to rethink the way we do this. And then that in turn could plausibly be part of the issue when we talk about sports culture and we talk about individual teams culture is maybe they're just not thinking about this stuff enough. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Turning now to the more baseball side of things. Uh, It was an interesting week for the Cubs, not by virtue of anything that they did, because of course, haha, there's not a lot going on for them this offseason. But we did see... In rapid succession, it was it was three consecutive signings. There were three starting pitchers who signed, and it was all three of the outgoing free agent members of the Cubs rotation. You had John Lester signing a uh, five year five million dollar deal with the Nationals. You had Tyler Chatwood signing approximately a five million dollar deal with the Blue Jays, and you had Jose Quintana getting eight million from the Angels. Boom, 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 and it was inter- It was. I don't know that Cubs fans were necessarily off put by the departures of Chatwood and Quintana, for example. I think that um, that was anticipated or at least forgivable for a variety of either performance related release reasons or just people wanting to move on because they they held within them some disappointment still about how those deals worked out. Um, but certainly the fan base was aggrieved by the departure of John Lester because it was well known that he wanted to return. It was well known that the Cubs were open to that return. And so him leaving, signing with the Nationals on what is ultimately a very reasonable deal, paired with uh, a good bit of reporting out there that, you know, the Cubs had an opportunity to to retain him and didn't. I think I I have some baseball-related thoughts on that decision, but I do understand the fan perspective that it's just like, you know, this guy was the most important free agent signing in club history. And if he wanted to return and he ended up signing a reasonable deal, it's like, oof, that's a real, that's a real blow to not be able to just do that. Cause sometimes it's, sometimes these decisions are a little bigger than pure baseball decisions. Yeah. And, and I would say that uh, initially when I heard that news and I saw the reaction, I was like, you know, this isn't – if they hadn't traded you, Darvish, I felt like uh, Lester fit into the rotation better than he does now. And this is purely baseball speaking, baseball talk. They have three, two locked-in starters uh, that don't throw the ball above 90 miles per hour, uh, a third in Mills that doesn't, and Lester doesn't anymore. He barely touches 90, 91 anymore. That's like when he's when he's having a good day, he's topping out at 91, 92, right? That's just current Lester and in all likelihood who he is. That doesn't mean he's a bad pitcher. Uh, but purely on field wise, I understand why this isn't a good fit for the Cubs, for a team that isn't likely going to be near the top of baseball in 2021. It's kind of resetting, needs to look at younger pitchers, needs to have like some uh, under the radar signings pop. Uh, so you need to give those guys opportunities. However, there's there's also the aspect of you just need innings, right? After last season, you need innings. Who can you count on for innings? Yeah. Is he what he was four years ago? No, John Lester is not. But he, he will be out there. He will work his butt off to give you a start every fifth day. He'll go out there as hard as he can and try and give you 30 starts, even after the messed up 2020 that you had. 
he will show the younger pitchers like Edward Alzali, like Al- Alec Mills, how to prepare every day and get yourself body ready, how how you need to work, how hard you need to work to get ready to make that start every fifth day. Now, you should say like they should just know that already. That should be a part of it. Sorry, if you're not – if you actually believe that, then then you're not really paying attention enough to baseball because veterans do matter. Watching a veteran, how they work is important. Kyle Hendricks is going to be a great example and, and will continue to be a great example for younger pitchers as he moves into this more leadership role that he's, he's kind of being thrust upon him now. But John Lester is uh, – you know, he's been around there. That stuff is important. It matters. Uh, so I understand – so – so I, I kind of see both sides of this. I really do think there's a baseball aspect of it that makes sense to move on from John Lester. But I don't but I think all the intangible factors kind of washes that out and makes it kind of like, OK, you could have gone either way here. And then once you get to the money factor and, and say that, OK, the Cubs are kind of waiting for this price to go down. They were they would have, you know, if they could have been more patient, they would have, you know, they, they could have maybe uh, found a way to bring him back in. I think that's just that ultimately right there puts it in the very frustrating camp for fans. Like you talk about money, you talk about trying to fill out a rotation. You, you look at this team right now, this roster, and they have multiple holes in the outfield and the rotation and, and, and backup catcher clear obvious holes not just like trying to improve around the edges and and like get depth and stuff like that (laughs) they have multiple holes if you want to field a team you can't right now you need to you need to go out there and and add players uh so so there's a lot of frustration in 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 just looking at the big picture with the cubs there and, and financial situation is unclear but also not in a place where not in an enviable place, right? There are teams that can be it's it's clear that they that they kind of also misread the market, right? It, not just with Lester, I'm talking about with uh like Kyle Schwarber getting 10 million could not have been expected from them. They, they there's no way they believe that Kyle, they wouldn't have let him go if they thought 10 million dollars was the market. We don't know how many teams were bidding, what the other uh, what other teams were bidding. But that's that's what he ended up with. So when you when you misplay the market as well, when you DFA a guy that gets two million more, probably a million more than he would have on on uh, on uh, arbitration, obviously he Kyle Schwarber comes out the winner there, right? So I I think there's there's a lot of that. This the Cubs aren't a, the other teams are taking advantage of this offseason and more than just a handful. Than the, than the Cubs are. The Cubs are not one of those teams that are taking advantage. They, they look like they're one of the bottom teams right now as far as what their ability to spend and how aggressive they can be on the free agent market. And that's really disappointing to see. As much as we may have telegraphed it, it, it's, it feels unacceptable. And, it, and, it's, and it's just not, a, you know, I, I can completely understand the frustration and anger from Cubs fans when you see stuff like that. Uh, just uh, happening. And, and it's clear that finances are, are putting the Cubs uh, in the spot where they're at. Yeah, I mean, internally, the Cubs already decided that John Lester would be valuable on the 2021 pitching staff. I mean, David Ross could not have been more clear over and over again about how he feels about John Lester. And, you know, Brett, you've written about it on Bleacher Nation, just the um, craziness of expecting, like, how are you going to find the 1400 innings next year and the Cubs knew that they could count on John Lester for a hundred something that he will be ready for it his his left arm can bounce back for it uh and that's just 
that's a tangible value. A guy who can just put up innings and take the ball every fifth day. And they wanted that and they made an offer. And the fact that they couldn't match it or sway John Lester is just absurd for a big market team. And I realize that this happened probably faster than the Cubs anticipated. I mean, the Nationals are a great landing spot for Lester. I think it's more my sense from his perspective is that it's more kind of disappointment than anger in the way that this unfolded. But I mean, if you were the the Cubs, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the difference of pennies when you're looking at the grand scheme of what this franchise is worth, how much it has grown over the years. And we're talking about a guy who had played an enormous part in transforming your organization. And so uh, I think it's a case of the Cubs, I'm told, can sign guys to major league contracts, but clearly they're working within a very tight budget. So, you know, if they're, they have X left to spend, you know, the nationals offered Y, but the Cubs couldn't quite come close to that. And I'm guessing it's kind of more of a, with all these holes that we're talking about on the roster, they're going to obviously have to go multiples and they're going to be hoping for, uh, you know, I think Jason Kibnis last year, right before spring training started, got about a million dollars and he was a, former all-star, good fit on the team. And if they're just going to try and stack kind of, you know, million-dollar players who fall to them, that might be a decent strategy. But that's also how every other team in baseball is looking at it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's easy to look at the market as a whole and the sort of the situation um, financially across baseball and say, boy, this – and we have said this, and so I'm not criticizing myself. God, I would never – but it's easy to look at the market as a whole and be like, um, you know, what a great year. If you're going to be in this lower end of the market, you're not going to have a lot of money to spend. Well, great. It's going to be a great year for it because you're going to have a lot of these guys that uh, fall through the cracks and that end up having to settle for a Kipnis-like non-guaranteed low value deal. And that still is probably going to happen. But if with so many more teams clearly taking that tack. I mean, here we are again. The entire NL Central has done nothing. You're going to tell me the Cardinals aren't thinking this exact same thing um, if if their budget is seriously crunched for 2021? Of course, they're thinking the same thing. And so you can't, um, I don't know. It, 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 it starts to feel like not a great strategy the closer we get to spring training and the more teams that are clearly doing it. But that's the reality. And I'll tell you what, what what really so we had the U Darvish trade right and and the big conversation that we had at the time was to what extent is this a salary dump and to what extent is it well it was certainly motivated by salary but it was like this this was the right return that we wanted for all the reasons that Jed Hoyer said in his press conference and even as as we as outside observers thought this doesn't seem like the right return for a, a, a U Darvish, but maybe they really believe in going with this approach and they've got more recent looks on these younger guys and whatever. I could have left that thinking, all right, let's see how the rest of the offseason plays out. And then, and then maybe, maybe that was correct, you know, but I tell you what, the John Lester situation, as it played out, 
confirmed for me that no, it was money. It was money. Everything is money this offseason. And here's why. That may sound crazy at first blush when I'm talking about 60 plus million dollars on one contract and $5 million on this signing. But here's why. Lester didn't get $5 million. He got $2 million and then $3 million deferred for two years. So if you were in a situation where you know money's tight now, but it's going to loosen back up in a couple of years as fans come back and are heavily reliant on game day revenues. It's going to turn around. Our recently launched network is finally going to start generating some cash. You'd have that confidence to be like, well, we can, we can match that deal. We'll pay a little bit now and defer till later. Uh, if you wanted John Lester back. And so what I was waiting for as this signing played out and, and Mooney, you were the one who really confirmed it for me that no, the Cubs, they made an offer. They were there. They wanted him back. This wasn't purely a baseball decision. It wasn't purely like, well, we want to change the style of our pitching and the rotations, a lot of soft tossing. Well, he's 37. Well, we've got some AAA level guys that we want to give innings. It wasn't that stuff. They did want him back and they could not sign him to a $2 million deal with 3 million deferred. And in a universe where you cannot sign that deal for a John Lester, given all the peripheral stuff and the fact that you wanted him back, well, clearly your money is just tight as shit right now. Like that is just a reality because even, even in the most um, uh, generous way and you say, okay, well maybe they only have 10 million to spend. And they were like, ah, you know, to commit that much to Lester is going to leave us not able to do the thing that we want to do at the other spots, which is wait and see who trickles down. Yada, yada. Well, that that's BS. Because if you truly wanted John Lester as part of your team, the deal he ended up getting is so small, relatively speaking, that you would be able to extend yourself a little bit if you needed to do so to keep John Lester. Um, and so you take all of that together. And like not having John Lester back on the team in 2021 is not something in isolation that makes me super hot. Um, that's because I... I actually think there are good baseball reasons to to maybe want those innings to come from someone else in a year when you're probably not going to be competitive anyway. Like I, I'm on, I I can see that. But again, that's not the reason they did it. It was clearly the money. It was the money. So that then gets me thinking back to the Darvish deal, and I get pissed off because I'm like, okay, again, clearly there were long-term decisions being made on the basis of very short-term dollars. And that is when I start to get hot because while the pandemic has provided a legitimate justification for um, financial issues for the Cubs and other teams, maybe the Cubs disproportionately, I'm with all that. But you're going to tell me that that kind of one-year thinking financially is going to dictate the next three to five years. When you're talking about a trade return, the next three to five years of your organization, that's completely asinine thinking, even from a financial perspective. It makes no sense to me. And I get that we're outsiders. I get that I don't have all of the, uh, you know, we're not going to have access to the books. We're not going to have access to their five-year plan, all these things. But I'm telling you from what we can observe on the outside, like this is me screaming it to the Cubs as an organization. From what we can see on the outside, what you're doing makes no sense. So exhale. Whew, I didn't know I was going to get that <laughs> fired up, but it just, God, 
Well, it, it brings yeah. questions about just like what is going on with their finances. How is this just like we need to save because I want certain amount of profits or we're in trouble here and we need to shed payroll and get to a certain level where I feel comfortable and, and this is how it's going to be for a little while. Or like yeah. or like where bank covenants tell you you have yeah. to be. Like if you have a lot of loans, a lot of bank covenants have explicit provisions about your revenue versus expenses. It's been a long time since we had to think about that shit with related relation to the Cubs, but it was a reality early on in the rebuild. Yeah. Uh, they they literally had to limit expenses to be in compliance with certain covenants. So just putting yeah, it out. Yeah, if that's the case, you know, I, it's not stuff that we like. I we fully know about and and can really dive into because we just like you said we don't have the books and we don't know exactly what's going on but then you see teams that are spending like the Padres like the Blue Jays like the White Sox obviously that that's frustrating for fans but then beyond that when you see the Dodgers involved in like almost every big name yet again like their their name is at least whispered right they're they're you'll you'll hear them mentioned with with brad hand they they, they there's a chance that they're going to re-sign justin turner or maybe they look at marcus Simeon. maybe they can bring in both maybe they can uh get in on trevor bauer so what what is going on here this team is the most aggressive when it comes to spending money and one of the most aggressive as far as payroll goes and and now and now they're continuing to add after a world series continuing to look to improve uh and the Cubs are can't re-sign John Lester for what like what you said it amounted for two million dollars in 2021. Uh, it just it brings more questions than answers, and I agree. I I don't know what their financial situation is, but it does send you know there are some red flags now, and I I start to wonder what does this mean beyond 2021? Uh, you know if they can't be aggressive next offseason, and I could understand it just just understanding what their plan is and and uh. Jed Hoyer basically saying like I'm I'm waiting to spend you know I'll I'll spend up when we have a team to spend on essentially was was what he was saying when when it when it makes sense to kind of supplement the roster with with free agent signings I understand that strategy when but how much of that is dictated by we just can't spend and how much of that is is going to be dictated by the roster I, if it's just purely the roster then at some point you'd like to think that by next winter they can spend. And at worst case, the winter after they'll be aggressive. But I, right now, I just have more questions, and and I, I just there's no clarity on that stuff, and and just where this team is headed, uh, as far as their lot in baseball, where where do they fit, and where where are they going to be going forward, uh, uh, in future winters in free agency. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder how much closer they can cut to the bone here. I mean, Brett, you even mentioned going back to from Joe Mann to David Ross, this wasn't driving a decision, but you go from like paying a manager $6 million to probably, you know, between one and two uh, is probably a, a safe guess. And we don't know exactly how much the Cubs saved when Theo resigned, but it's safe to say it's, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, after the World Series, eight guys became free agents, including two starting pitchers who made – north of 10 million i believe or would have in a full season last year uh schwarber the schwarber strategy uh in that waiting for one of the left fielders to kind of fall to your price range is not totally unreasonable but right there they're probably going to save another whatever maybe five 
million on top of clearing Darvish's 59 million off the books. And so um, I don't necessarily think this means the Cubs are out of next off season, but clearly they've showed their hand for what this off season is. And there's kind of really uh, a very small percentage that they can salvage it. It would be like hitting on every single like $1 million player that falls into their lap. There'll probably be some contributors they find out there, but um, it just really kind of going back to what we started at the top, like what the Cubs were sold, how they were billed as, and what they were going to become when Theo and Jed first got here. It has been a real kind of rude awakening for Cubs fans um, who kind of went along with, let's keep Chris Bryant down at the beginning of 2015 because man, like 2021, the window, uh, our contention cycle, you know, we'll be firing on all cylinders there. And obviously uh, there's been a lot of things beyond kind of what anyone could have envisioned, you know, years ago. Yeah. One, one quick thing, Uh, Patrick, I think you wrote like uh, the next tier of left fielders of being Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, and Jerkson Profar. And I start to wonder when we talk about all this, are they even like, are those guys' prices going to fall? Whose price is going to fall among that group that far that the Cubs are going to spend three-ish, four-ish million, whatever it is they're willing to spend? I'm not, maybe Duvall, just because he he's a poor defender and he's all power from, from remembering his numbers better. He's, he's just a power guy that doesn't play good defense. So maybe you can get him on a deal, but the rest of those guys, I I mean, that would good on them. If they can wait out the market and one of those, one of those other three or four, however many you mentioned is a, is a steal at that price, because that would be a steal. That's if 3 million for Jock Peterson seems like way under his, what he should be making, right? If they can get someone like him, I just I just wonder if it's going to end up being even a tier below that. And then then you're talking about that's not that probably shouldn't be a guy you're starting in left field if you're going to claim that, yeah, we're still competing in 2021, even if we're not the best team in baseball. So that right there, when we start talking about what they're willing to pay and what what type what they're looking for in the market, it may like, yeah, it'd be great if they end up with one of those guys at a, at a good deal for them. Good for them for, you know, making it work. But uh, I it, it's hard to envision that. So I, I don't know what left field is going to look like, what these backup, what this backup catcher is going to look like and who we're going to see filling out this rotation and competing for a spot. Yeah, it was more, if you look at, there's probably six or seven viable left fielders out there. And I don't know what the ultimate price will be, but there's no way all those guys are getting what they hope for. Uh, and that the other piece of it was, as you would have assumed, the Cubs are not going to find a center fielder uh, this January. Uh, that Ian Happ, those guys are hard to find. And that Ian Happ, and maybe there's a platoon or a complementary element to that, but that you know he's going to get the bulk uh, of the time in center. And he did, he quitted himself you know, pretty well uh, this past season, but uh, certainly no one would consider him as like a pure natural center fielder. And so that's kind of how they're looking at it at this moment. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else. Like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, concluding thought is this. Imagine a scenario where the Dodgers or the Yankees, uh, you could probably pick two or three other teams. We're in a situation now like the Cubs are in terms of a terrible division, a year where you don't love your ability to be super competitive when you just evaluate your own roster uh, and a market that is replete with guys who are probably going to have to take one-year deals. Do you think any of those teams would just not sign anybody? Is that the approach that they would take? Just because you aren't in a position to max out on the top tier of free agency, which I think Jed was quite right on. There are times that you do that. There are times that you don't. And I think that right now it would not make a lot of sense for the Cubs to be in on, you know, a George Springer. But do you really think any of those other teams aren't signing one-year guys on reasonable deals and then trying to figure out what kind of value they can get out of that? Absolutely not. And so that, coupled with the fact that they did want John Lester back, should tell you everything you need to know about what the Cubs can do financially right now. And when I say the Cubs, I mean the front office, what the front office can do financially, what they are being permitted to do financially right now. Uh, the information's there, you know, it sucks to, to see it and realize it. And sometimes these revelations take place over the course of, of many days and weeks as we get the little morsels of information that we get, but I think it's there now. I think, I think we know what we know. And I think that, that that's the reality. And so you once again, adjust to, well, Shelby Miller looks pretty interesting. I did see some of that, uh, is, is rap soda oh, data. That by was, the way, Brett, they wild. signed him like a couple uh, weeks ago. <laughs> like it was like, yeah. <laughs> well, he put, I noticed after it was like reported, like it, it, people found his like tweet for, and it was like from a while ago. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's been a while actually. Um, but I think that that's what it's going to be. I think that we're going to see the Cubs uh, hanging back and being like, yeah, some of these guys are going to fall to us. And, um, but I don't think there's, I think the, the, the element to this that I, I suppose had hoped uh, was that the, they're waiting on the vaccine situation, the fan attendance situation. They're going to cl- get some clarifying information on the attendance. They're going to say, okay, here's where our budget can be. And since our payroll is already monstrously down from last year, we can actually add, you know, 10 to 20 million. Oh, there's still some good free agents out there. We're going to be able to make some hay. I don't think that's going to happen now. I really don't. I really don't think so. I think instead it's going to be, we would like to target the best of the remaining guys who can't get guaranteed big league deals. And we will sign them to a Jason Kipnis deal. And we'll, we'll find a left fielder out of that group. We'll find a couple starting pitchers out of that group and maybe a bench infielder. And that's it. And that's what the offseason is going to be. And I think that otherwise they'll just cross their fingers on the NL central being so garbage that they can compete or maybe more to the point, they'll cross their fingers on being able to sell off some useful pieces at midseason, And this is just a, a successful rebooting year, but that goes back to what you said, Sahadev, that 
that only, even in that limited world where we're like, okay, fine, I'll accept that. That only makes sense where you can resume spending again next off season. Uh, Cause let's not forget the the free agent class next year is tremendous. I mean, it's absolutely tremendous. So, you know, can we not do, can we not do this next? Off? I don't want to have the same bleeping conversation. Referencing the Daniel Descalso contract. Like, <laughs> yes, I do. Not, I, I would like it to, to this, to be the end of that. I would like to no longer be referencing that. I would like the Cubs to make some, $5 million signing so that I can be like, woo, look at that. Look at these money bags. Uh, but that's not going to happen. I'll, I'll set the over under on the big signing of this off season at, uh, at a half a Descalso and I'll take the under, oh, wow. but we'll get back at you, uh, folks. This was, um, you know, good conversation. Sorry. It's not, uh, super happy and thrilling, but hopefully you at least found it informative and entertaining in its own way. So uh, catch us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite platform. You can always listen in the app, but you can get us uh, at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you, you're listening. Uh, we're on to Waveland. We talk about the Cubs. I'm Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's the Hottest Charm and Patrick Mooney. Catch their stuff, of course, at The Athletic. And we will talk to you again soon, hopefully under, uh, you know, brighter skies. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.